This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Um, I'm excited about this interview, but I think my husband was even more excited. I'll talk to you a little bit about that, Mark. But bringing to you today, uh, big wave surfer and, um, uh, I mean, gosh, professional waterman, uh, award-winning award winning spear fisherman. Uh, you're doing a lot of great things in the North Shore. Mark Healy, welcome to The Resilient Life. Uh, thanks for having, having me. Yeah. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, so great to connect with you. You know, our friend Tim Duba uh, made the connection for us. We'll talk a little bit more about that connection, but I have to tell you, you, you are our 69th episode of the Resilient Life podcast. Yes. And yeah, and uh, I was telling my husband, um, you know, I've had a lot of really big guests on this podcast and no one got him more excited than when I said, hey, hon, um, do you know Mark Healy? Uh, I have him on, I'm, he's coming on the podcast and he's like, oh, you got to be shitting me. And so a uh, little backstory, my husband grew up in Avalon, New Jersey. It's a small barrier island. And um, his brother was a, uh, a semi-pro surfer uh, who uh, died of cancer when he was 18 years old. And so my husband's family started a pediatric cancer foundation 30 plus years ago. And one, their big fundraiser was a surf contest. And over the years, it became the largest amateur surf contest on the East Coast. Uh, and so we have, you know, a ton of my husband's friends ended up moving to the North Shore. You know, he's big in the surf community. And so I have not had a professional surfer on the podcast yet. So he got very <laughs> excited. He was writing down a ton of things uh, to talk to you about. But, you know, I kind of grew up, we've been married for almost 20 years now. So I, I, I grew up around, um, you know, I grew up in the surfing community with him. I've been to, uh, I've been to Hawaii with him. We've, we've done a ton of stuff there on the North shore. I've watched them all surf the big waves there and just been, you know, blown away by just watching waves. I've never seen so big, uh, when we traveled there and, um, and I think there's a lot of mutual connections too uh, with some of his mm -hmm. friends, but you know, lots of things. One of the first things he actually told me to do was last night. He was like, make sure before you talk to Mark, you go on and you search Mark Healy jumps off the boat at Mavericks. So I did that. Oh gosh. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, just Google Mark Healy Mavericks boat. And I'm like, okay, I did. I saw the video of, quite possibly one of the scariest things I've ever seen. You literally jumping off as a huge wave hits a boat <laughs> at Mavericks. And I was like, oh, we got a lot to talk about. So um, <laughs> so let's start with, um, you're in Oahu. What, did you grow up there? Yeah, so I'm born and raised here. I know it doesn't look like it, but um, my dad grew up here since he was five years old. Uh, okay. My mom's been here since... She was in her 20s. She's from Mississippi originally. Um, so yeah, got some roots here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. I mean, again, growing up, uh, growing up on the North Shore, I, you know, you're, you're a board's put in your hand at what age, right? Like pretty much when you get a pacifier, you get a surfboard, I would imagine. Oh yeah. You're in the water. It, it depends on, you know, your, your, your dad usually and your friend group, but uh, I'd, I honestly don't even remember the first time I went surfing with my dad. Uh, he took me, uh, gosh, I don't know, like probably started around three. My daughter started earlier than I did now, actually. But um, yeah, it just I remember just getting, uh, you know, every day was a near drowning and felt like getting waterboarded and kept coming back for more. <laughs> did, did you feel like, you know, I think back, because I've got an eight-year-old son who – hates 
the water. And I don't think there's anything more heartbreaking to his father than to have, you know, he'll play football for hours in the sand, but he doesn't want anything to do with the ocean. And, you know, my husband just like, he doesn't push him because he's like, there's no point. One day it'll click for him and he'll want to get in the water. And it, and it's, but like, was water just like a natural fit for you? Like you just don't remember a time you weren't in it. Yeah. I don't remember a time that I wasn't in it, but besides that, I think I just like it because it was a wild place. There's no rules. Uh, I've never liked being told what to do in general. So the kind of like wild places are attractive to me. Yeah. Um, I'm not big on, uh, what, how, how should I put this? Uh, the pageantry or, or, or <laughs> supposed social fluff around things. I like to cut to the point. So I like that, that cause and effect of wild places in the ocean and, and uh, what, what you put into it is what you get out of it. It's pretty direct. There's no drama and politics around it. Yeah. When did you realize, like at what age did you realize that it wasn't just going to be a, a hobby for you? Like something you did on the side and you know put on a suit and tie and went to work right like that it was going to be mm -hmm. part of your profession i think it was when i was about maybe like halfway to 14 you know like 13 years old kind of in that range i was the last of my friend group because it's i mean this is a center of the surfing universe during the winter time so everything's here so it's like my friends were getting sponsored. I was the last guy to get sponsored. I sucked at contests always. Um, I just kept doing them because I was stubborn. And um, I just didn't think it was a likely route. I actually, even though I didn't like being in a classroom, I liked learning and I, I'm competitive in a way. So I always got great grades. I thought I was going to get a, a, you know, a scholarship of some sort, whether it be through team sports um, or an academic one that was going to be the only path because we were broke. But um, so professional surfing wasn't really a viable option. Like it, it just didn't add up. But once I got my first sponsor, you know, I'm getting free stickers and, and <laughs> sale rack stuff that doesn't fit me that they're just trying to get rid of. But that kind of like sparked a little hope, like, huh, maybe I'll, I'll keep going down this path and see where it, where it leads me and try to be honest with myself and, pull the ripcord if it's uh if it's not really going to be happening but it just it grew yeah it grew and then you you take that and you know there's there's the path of you know competing at the professional level but then you you take it a little bit to the next level like you get into the big wave surfing you're competing in the Eddie Aku, um, you know, my husband said, make sure you talk to him about that. The la last year, I guess the waves were massive at the Eddie Aku, and he's like, you got to ask him about that. But, you know, for me, I'll tell you, like, I grew up a little bit, again, in the summers in this community. I've, I've watched people surf. Um, I can do okay on a big foam longboard in Jersey waves, right? When we went out to Hawaii, I didn't even attempt to, to touch anything out there because- mm -hmm. I will tell you that like my fear of the water and I think almost my respect of the ocean holds me back because you, you obviously know how powerful the ocean is. And I just, I don't think that I would ever be able to like overcome that fear to get out there and to, to take that big wave. So was there a point where you had to make that inflection or that decision to take that one wave right like and i say that metaphorically like but do you remember a time growing up where you could have been like this is kind of my plateau where i stop or this is where i say i'm i'm going for it oh my god it's it's every big day it's always yeah. been that way every That's day like, you have that point yeah. that is that is the norm on on giant days you know obviously your threshold and where you start you know encountering your edge uh it changes it gets pushed out it happens a little less often but it it's, it's still a regular occurrence that no matter what you're there's these instincts that your body has to keep you alive that are still going to be screaming at you 
you know, it's, it still feels wrong on a certain level, what you're doing, Yeah. but if you've, you've vetted it out, you've prepared, it makes sense. You know, it's possible. And then when you push yourself to actually just pull the trigger, all the, all the work has been done. Now you just have to act and not be paralyzed by fear. Um, and you just push yourself past that and you maze yourself with what you can actually do. And all of a sudden there's this, this, uh, this whole nother level that you kind of open up. So you're more willing or you have a better argument to yourself to, to push yourself again later. I found that I have to be pushed to, to reach my potential. Almost all the things that have, I think benefited me in life have been things that I didn't necessarily choose to happen. Um, or they're just situ sink or swim situations I was forced into, you know? Um, so seeing that pattern happen over and over again, makes me know it's like taking your medicine, go face it. Tell me about a time when you went to go face it and then you realized, uh-oh, I might have gotten in a little over my head. Yeah, I mean, I've had a, I've had a bunch of them, but, um, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've come, you know, I've lost consciousness. I've come very close to, to uh, croaking several times, but um when you're, when you're in such a chaotic environment, all it takes is one little element to change something that was unforeseen, you know, like an eardrum blowout. So you lose your equilibrium and you can't find surface anymore. Um, <clears throat> I almost drowned at Jaws, uh, which is on Maui. It's the real name of the place is Peahi, but it's more commonly known as Jaws. That's my first time going there. And it was a giant swell, still one of the biggest swells I've ever been there for. And this was, gosh, this was a long time ago. I was in my early 20s and um, I was tired. I had just had a, a really bad flu. So I was just in a weakened state, but I was still at that point in my life where every big swell was like, the in my mind was like the last opportunity yeah. ever. I'm like, I'm ready to die over this shit. Let's do this. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I almost did. Uh, so I was just really tired as late in the day, I was already cramping up a lot. Um, we were going to take the jet ski, we we're towing in cause it was so big. And I was telling my partner, Jamie Sterling, I was like, Hey, I just want to wait for one more. And I'm like, I'm going to get the biggest barrel. I'm going to pull in to like a 70 footer right now. Like it's on, I'm, I'm terrified, but I'm going to try waiting for a giant wave. Got the giant wave. The wave did not do what I thought it was. And this lip you know, from outside of my peripheral vision, it's so tall, you know, it's you know, around that 60 foot range, probably. Instead of it throwing out and over me and myself tucking under it, it just landed on my legs, basically right behind me on my heels. And the impact, I remember knowing that I blew my right eardrum out because I had done it once before. And so I knew I was in big trouble. And, um, my vest, I had very little inflation. It was like some Walmart crummy vest that I was wearing and uh, the zipper ripped in half and it was coming off my arm. And I remember it coming up, sliding off my arm is kind of everything slow mode. And I was like, I better grab this thing. I'm going to need it. And so I just hooked my hand and grabbed it and bunched it up while I'm getting ragdolled underwater and held it to my chest. And, um, yeah, my whole body, my, both of my legs all the way down, every muscle in my legs just locked up in cramps, um, started losing consciousness, which is, uh, a feeling I'm, I'm not, uh, that wasn't foreign to me because of training with breath hold and free diving and stuff. So I know I don't have much time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. I had to really take myself into a mental place that that definitely saved my life <clears throat> and just put myself elsewhere in a very detailed way. I still remember the imagery perfectly to this day. <laughs> I was so focused on it. And then, uh, I came up, I couldn't hold my head, I think out of the water, uh, but it just got really bright. So I knew I was close to the surface and I got like a little sip of air and then the next one, boom. And then the second one felt worse than the first. Um, Anyways, I ended up taking 
several waves on the head before I got picked up. And so the next thing I realized I'm in the, on the jet ski with my buddy who towed me into the wave in the channel there. And uh, I'm spinning out. Like I can't really hold on to the jet ski. It's just, it's like the, the drunkest you ever have been in your life when you're a dumb, like teenager and you drink half a bottle of Jose gold or something on your hands and knees barfing. So it's like that in the, in the channel, but I didn't want to barf in front of all the other big wave guys. Uh, I had too much pride. So I kept swallowing it. And uh, yeah, I didn't realize till like a week later, uh, my friend, Sean Lopez, he was like, Hey, my, my dad said he grabbed you by the hair and threw you on the rescue sled of the jet ski. And your eyes were like the size of um, softballs. And I was like, no, he must, must be some other Holly. <laughs> I guess we all look the same. And, um, and he's like, Nope. And I'm like, dude, I'll settle this right now. So I called my buddy, Jamie, the jet ski I was on. I'm like, tell Sean that you picked me up. He's like, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, tell him you picked me up. He's like, I didn't pick you up. Victor picked you up. Sean's dad. I was like, Holy. So there was like at least two minutes that I don't even, I wasn't, was I conscious? Was I, I apparently I was, but lights were on, but nobody was home, you know, which is yeah. spooky. I had no idea to this day. I would still think if they never told me that Jamie picked me up. That's wild. Well, I think about that, you know, you say you're in your early twenties, right? And so, mm -hmm. I mean, I think any of us who have gone through our twenties, we're, you're, you're in a little bit of a risk taking uh, place, uh, you know, in your life. And then, you know, now you're married, you've got a, a three-year-old daughter. Does that change mm -hmm. things for you? Does that change the element of the risk that you're willing to take? Yes. I'm, I'm much more selective you and are. strangely yeah. it works out way better. I've gotten, I've had my best results and paddled into the biggest waves of my life, uh, since I started adjusting. So I was like, gosh, I should have done this earlier instead of just throwing myself at everything. <laughs> That's probably yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, my, my, uh, I guess framework for acceptable risk is much more detailed now. Yeah. I mean, it has to change because you're, you know, as a, as a, a 20 year old kid, you have no obligations, I guess you could say, you know, other yeah. than making it home to your parents, but beyond <clears throat> that, you know, you're not thinking of the child, the spouse, you know, and so certainly those have to come into play um, when you're doing things that are, you know, that involve a, a certain level of risk. Yeah, massively. Um, you know, that was uh, my main purpose or, or use case. <laughs> if, if I would say it that way in life is to be a good father and take care of my family, you know, so um, I can't let, something that is honestly it's yes i still make a living adjacent to it but um you know it's a little selfish for me to take too much risk now um yeah so it's just a, a shift in priorities and being honest with yourself about it so how do you decide you know again you look at um you've got a three-year-old daughter that you said you you know you're already putting her on the board. How do you she just turn four? Oh, she just turned four. Okay. Four-year-old yeah. daughter. So how do you decide to take those risks with her? Right. With saying like, you know, the, a little bit of the danger and the elements that are out there, but, um, you know, you're, you're putting her out there anyway. Oh, I mean, it's set and setting. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be safe. Uh, I, for me, the main concern is not just, her having like a traumatizing experience and not wanting to go out with me anymore, yeah. which is a tr that's like this, the classic surf dad thing to do. Yeah. Like everybody does it eventually. And sometimes the kids just never come back to it, you know? Um, so I try to be careful. Maybe I haven't always succeeded at that. Um, but she, she's still excited about it right now. I mean, that the hack that all my friends who've done this successfully, the main thing is, is it seems like finding a peer group 
or maybe kids that are like a couple of years older. Like my daughter is really attracted to like older girls. She wants to hang out with the older girl in the group always. So it's like get them surfing together let them take off with it. Um, Try not to be as hands-on as I probably want to be, but like let her make it her own. Yeah. Um, That's, that's the phase we're in right now. Yeah. So Another thing that you do that I find fascinating is is shark tagging. So mm-hmm. I, I read that you will dive as deep as 135 feet into like a school of sharks to tag them, and do it, do it all in one breath. Obviously there's intense breath work training you have to do to get to that point. What got you into that? Um, so my dad had me spearfishing and free diving at the same time I was surfing, like three years old and it's been a part of my life ever since. So, um, yeah, I've been at it my entire basically conscious life. Uh, I really enjoy it. Um, the shark tagging thing is just something I, I geek out on like marine biology and everything. I, I definitely, uh, have concerns about conservation and effective conservation, not just, you know, Instagram conservation. Um, so I got kind of involved with some shark tagging projects where the researchers kind of had uh, challenges that I could be a useful fix for. So one of those challenges is that most of the tagging or all of the tagging that was done of the sharks in the past, you're, you're tagging the sharks to get a data set on their behavior. So if you catch them on a hook and line, they get so exhausted that there's like a fairly significant mortality rate they just die because they're so burnt out and there's so much lactic lactic acid built up. But if they don't die, you have this tag shark. The goal is to get a behavioral data set. Obviously you're going to act differently if you're, you're almost dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the patterns are going to be different. So we could modify a spear gun get the tags on there and I can free dive and put a tag in right at the base of the dorsal fin. And it's just like a little thing. It's like getting a shot, you know, sometimes if you place a tag really nicely, um, they, they don't even leave. They actually come back around. So you get really accurate data. You kill less of them, um, which is good for the sharks, but it's also good for the researchers getting the okay to be able to do these projects. Um, so yeah, I did, uh, I did the, First pelagic thresher tagging um, in the Philippines. So they, that was the first data set to come off of those sharks. They're, they're kind of hard to come by. Um, and then I did the first uh, tagging project in Japan ever where we did scalloped hammerheads and Galapagos sharks. And um, I've done, I can't really talk about this other one because I signed an NDA for it. Um, but we did another scalloped hammerhead project <clears throat> And then I've just done a lot of film work with uh, great whites and stuff out of the cage and, and helping safety that for the guys filming. And yeah, I've just spent a lot of time around sharks. Do you have, do you have any fear of sharks or, I mean, I guess you have a healthy fear, but not, I, I you probably have a, a different respect for, for sharks being around them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have to have a healthy fear for them or in what they're capable of. Yeah. Um, the biggest key to me is just being able to, to have a good bead on what their potential story is when the two of you meet. Yeah. So it's like, there's kind of like a framework that's going to help me anticipate how they're going to behave under certain circumstances. It's like, why are they here? Is it, you know, they could be coming to a cleaning station. They could be coming because the, it's been baited. They could be coming because it's breeding season. What are they feeding on at this time? What other sharks are, are there at the same time? And how does that hierarchy change their behavior? And it's through time and experience, I can get a good beat on like, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on that guy. That guy has more parasites than the rest of them. It's more scarred up and it's not a female. So I know those aren't breeding scars. This thing's still alive because it's been rewarded for taking chances and being a bit more on the aggressive side. It has more parasites because it comes into physical contact with things more. So I'm just going to make sure I'm really 
there's a bunch of sharks around. I'm always going to have an eye on this one and, and watch how his behavior changes during the day. But it's just like, it's like reading people, you know, it's like, I, if you. I, no, if, I was going to say, have you, have you ever had any close calls with, with sharks while doing this work? Yeah. I, uh, only one time I would say like, I properly was getting attacked. It was, uh, it was just because somebody was doing something really stupid. I was in the water. It was late in the evening. The sun was going down and unbeknownst to me, because we lost, we were spearfishing and we lost a bunch of big wahoo that we were shooting to the sharks all day long. So they kind of got like, they get more and more aggressive and less hesitant as they become rewarded. So you try to, your best effort to just not let them take your fish because that's only going to make your problem worse. So these guys got rewarded throughout the day, despite our best efforts. And uh, the one guy was on the boat and he was cutting all because sometimes you just get half of a, a 70 pound Wahoo. And uh, he was cutting all the rough bits off while I was in the water as the sun was hitting the water and throwing them off the boat, getting rid of them. So they were just frenzied up and I didn't know what I was swimming into coming back. And these two bull sharks tried to eat me basically. <laughs> <laughs> um but i got lucky i i uh managed to get my gun in one of the first one's mouth as it came up it was like coming straight up really fast like in between my legs and so i jammed my gun in its mouth but as it was it continued to come up and try to come over my side like over onto my shoulder so my gun is like perpendicular to my body now my hands on the handle and it's just barely in its mouth and I didn't want my gun to come out of its mouth and him end up on top of me. You just don't want him on top of you in the water because you have nowhere to go. You can't swim in reverse faster. You're not, yeah. you lose any kind of like muted agility that you have. And so I pulled the trigger with my thumb and it shot through the corner of his mouth and it ran immediately. And it's, it's teeth cut the line of the, the shooting line that's attached to the spear shaft. So my shaft just went to the bottom of the ocean. And luckily I still have my gun in my hand without the spear in it. And the, the second one was coming up in the same way. So I crammed my gun down in his mouth and he chewed on that. And then I just like, this is one of the only times I've ever just been at the point to where I was like, it doesn't matter. I just need to get to the boat fast. Yeah. Like all bets are off. I'm swimming as fast as I can to this boat. And I was getting hit by a, a bunch of other sharks because there's probably about 30 sharks around at that point, but only two bulls. The bulls were the only ones I was worried about. There's big silkies and stuff and they're bumping into me and hitting me. And I just did like a front flip into the boat. <laughs> I mean, you realize like you tell that story with just kind of such like, casual nature of like, oh, there were 30 sharks. I wasn't worried about any of them except for two of them. Like that sounds wild to the average listener. Like I'm listening to that. Like I see a shark that's this big in the water and I'm going to, you know, lose my mind. You know, so, and, and, <laughs> and, and I mean, again, I, I think it's probably your product of your environment and what you've grown up around. And, but like, it just, it sounds pretty wild. Yeah, I was shitting myself for sure <laughs> okay. at that point. But I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm so accustomed to being good at compartmentalizing things. I mean, that I sometimes yeah. it follows me on land. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's wild. Um, there's been just on the East Coast recently. I just watched last night. There was a, um, a girl. Uh, well, She's from the East Coast, but this was just in Turks and Caicos last night. She graduated from Yale, went to Turks and Caicos, and um, a shark bit her foot off while she was snorkeling. Oh. Not even scuba diving, just like snorkeling, you know? And like, I think about, my like, God, how many times? I remember when I was in Hawaii, um, we were mm -hmm. in Kauai uh, on one of my trips with my husband, and we went snorkeling. And... I don't like a lot of fish around me. Like I like the ocean. I like, <laughs> I like to see the water. And my husband, you know, we had the, the, the food and he broke the bag open on purpose. Right. And it was just like, it was, I mean, I was engulfed in, and I don't think I ever swam that fast in my life to get back 
uh, to, to get back to shore. And, you know, you just think about such a kind of, I don't want to say mindless, but just relaxing thing of throwing on the snorkel. And I saw less, I'm like this 22 year old girl just graduated from Yale and goes to Turks and Caicos. And they still, they said, they don't know what kind of shark uh, did it, but it came up from behind bit her foot off. She was a, you know, a marathon runner. And I'm like, oh. yeah, but we've had a couple here on the East coast up in New York. Um, you know, a couple, you know, again, they're, they're, no one's, no one's being killed, but, but shark bites, you know, kids out on, on boards and, you know, and their, their foots are just getting bit or their leg they're coming up. You know, I, I don't know that you would call it an attack because they're getting bit and the sharks, you know, swimming away, you know, realizing that mm -hmm. whatever it bit into was not what it was intending to bite into. But, um, you know, again, I've got that, I've got a, a healthy fear of that. For sure. You, you talked a little bit when you were, you know, talking about uh, your tagging and, you know, um, the sustainability of our oceans today. Like, what do you, what do you think being someone that obviously has spent an exorbitant amount of time in the ocean, around the ocean, what do you think is the biggest risk to the stability uh, of, of our oceans today? You know, outside of the, like you said, the, the Instagram, Instagram propaganda, like, what do you see? What's the, What's the one step to getting it back on the right path? Well, I mean, if you're looking at it as a whole, I mean, the commercial fishing, especially the Asian fleets, big deal. The plastics we're putting in, big deal. Um, anything smaller than that, I feel like needs a local solution. Yeah. Um, you can't do broad stroke. A lot of these organizations that accept everyone's money kind of try to do that. So, or say they do it um but i yeah i think every situation is different but on a large scale it's like n nothing that we're gonna do is really gonna change anything when you have these giant fleets from like you know korea taiwan china just decimating things and throwing all their trash over as well yeah okay so let's talk a little bit um you know outside of your the surf world. Um, you're involved co-founder of an awesome brand that um, we're a big fan of at the Travis Manning Foundation and me personally, and that's Protect. You've got the Protect shirt on I see right now. Yep. <laughs> I've got my I've got my Protect Yeti that uh, nice. sent me. You know, I do not have a hydration pack in this currently, but I did have one this morning and uh, sent my son to basketball camp with a hydration pack in his water bottle. So let's talk about Protect. And, um, you know, I got introduced to the company from Tim Duba, one of the, the, the co-founders of the company. And I, I was not familiar with it at first. Of course, my husband was because it was, it had a surfing element to it. You were involved with it. Um, the Florence brothers, like he, he knew of Protect because of the surfing community. And so I said to him, I'm like, hey, have you ever heard of this brand Protect? The, the one guy went to Navy with my brother. He's like, seriously? No way. I didn't know there was a Naval Academy connection there. But Tim sent us, um, you know, Tim had talked to me about the product. And and he had sent me an awesome package of all the great product you guys have. And, you know, I'm somebody, I want to try the product. Um, and we did. And we love it. Um, all of it. All of the hydration, the supplements, the the zinc sunscreen, um, tell me a little bit how you got involved in the company. Yeah, I, I'm glad it works. I mean, that's what <laughs> I want people to actually try it. I don't, I don't want any handouts. Um, so uh, myself and Tim and Nick, his brother-in-law, uh, we were at a sunscreen company. Tim actually approached me to get on it. He was working to be an ambassador for it. Um, we all ended up getting along real well right off the bat had similar visions similar values as far as you know the the standards we'd like to to hold ourselves to from a product standpoint and everything and that company ended up being just a disaster of you know one of the the guys the main guys who is involved was just a, a complete turd and uh so that blew up. I, I got a bunch of other, you know, sponsors and contracts. That was like not a big deal for me at all. But um, just through getting to know him and talking to Tim so much, I was like, you know what? 
let's why don't we just start our own thing why don't we just start it the way we want to from the beginning we've always been working for other people we've had ideas that we know would work and they get shot down and then sure enough it happens a couple years later why don't we just get together where's the problem what do we need what's missing that we would love to have and protect in the battery of products that we created came out of that so it was seriously like him got super inspired and sat down came back with a sketchbook he's like i think this is it i'm like all right i'm in let's do this um let's get this started and uh yeah the the rest has been history we started right at, at the beginning of covid <laughs> which is great, challenging great timing, but timing yeah but that's where it paid off you know our approach of wanting to do things right everything being sourced and made in the united states that would look like a, a big issue. You know, people had told me like, Ooh, are you sure you want to do that? That's going to kill your margins. But then COVID comes around. We're not having to worry about our stuff getting shipped in from overseas. So there you go. It's like every time we just stuck to our guns and, and tried to hold ourselves to some kind of a standard, it always came back around. And uh, I'm super proud of the products that we have these days. It's growing super fast. And uh, yeah, it's just the feedback like yours when it really actually is a benefit to people and helps keep them, you know, healthy and, and focus on the things that they love. We don't want, we want our products to be able to be something to where it's so convenient. You want to do it. It tastes good. You're not overloading on sugar that it keeps you on a routine to where you're not even thinking about taking our stuff. You're thinking about doing the things that you love and being focused on the goals that you have. Like we're not trying to be top of mind. We're trying to take everything else off of people's plates so they can focus on the things that really matter. Yeah. Well, there's two things, you know, the first is what I loved about the company right away is that everything is made in the United States. And like, I think as, you know, again, not the best timing to start a company as COVID's hitting, but I think <laughs> COVID told us one thing, like, how important it is for us to, you know, keep our products in the United States. You know, I mean, there's there's such this, there's the people that say, I only want to buy American-made products or, you know, but it's like you walk the walk but and, and talk the talk. And so for you guys to say, you know, that's no small feat, you know, margins, uh, things you have to worry about from the economic challenges. Like it doesn't, we don't make it easy to, uh, manufacture things in the United States. And that's why mm -hmm. a lot of our companies go outside and, you know, but making that commitment, I was, I just uh, was had on um, one of the board members for origin, which is a apparel company. And, and they have the same type of rigid standards of everything is sourced and made. And it's not made in America where he was kind of sharing a little bit about like, you can put tags, like the way the yes. government, like, it's like, you can say it's made in America, but like, it's actually not. Um, there's like, there's different standards. Like there's, their shit is literally like sewn in a factory in Maine. Like every fiber is mm -hmm. coming from the U.S., you know? Um, but, you know, to do that, it takes a commitment from the company and, and a commitment to who you want to be as a company. And I think, you know, I've seen, and I don't know if it's just the network I'm in, or the community I'm involved with, but I've seen a bigger push for people really looking for companies and searching out companies that they want to get behind that are making that commitment. So, um, and, mm. and also having that understanding that it is no small feat to make that commitment as a company. And, you know, again, there's a lot of these lifestyle brands out there now, you know, that are, are pushing a lot of uh, product health products, you know, hydration, tablets, packets, all of these things to, to give you a better lifestyle. Right. And, um, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, and I said something, he's a Naval Academy grad. He's, he's, uh, big in, in, um, this community. Now he's a, he works over at, at go rock. Um, and he's, I said to him, I said, Hey, have you, are you familiar with protect? Right. Are you familiar with this company protect? He said, yeah. I said, have you tried their products? He's like, yeah. And he goes, you know what I love about them? They're not like snake oil salesmen. Like a lot of these companies are like the products, good shit. And I'm like, it is, it's really good. Yes. So yeah. 
So, you know, uh, again, um, it's one thing, you know, I think you probably, you get a lot of like, Hey, try our stuff, like, you know, push our, push our product out. Right. And yes, um, I get a ton of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, getting that, that big PR package from Tim, I opened it up and I'm like, this stuff looks good. Like, let's see how it works. And, you know, I've got a mm -hmm. daughter that's, uh, you know, heading off to play division one lacrosse in college. And she takes the little, I don't know what the tablets are, but you drop them in, in the morning. Uh, the branch chain amino acids. Yeah. It's the primer. Yeah. That's so the primer. Awesome. Yeah. She takes the primer every morning before she goes and works out. So you've got a, you got a little 17 year old girl that's hooked on the, the primer. Um, but you know, even to, um, and I like the range of products that you guys have. So you have the, you know, the hydration, you have immunity, you have rest, um, and then, you know, I love the, I, I actually said to Tim, I'm like, I got to be dropping the resilience drops, you know, before I record the resilient life podcast. So I, I, I appreciated those with, and, um, but I love the sunscreen too, because for me being a family that again, we're down at the Jersey shore all summer. And, mm. you know, you talk about this idea and I'm again, I'm sure that's, it was big for you, but like, I, I'm challenged between the idea of putting a bunch of chemicals on my kids and also protecting them from the sun. Right. And what's that mix? Yes. And, um, so uh, your stuff was uh, a welcome, um, a welcome surprise to our, our arsenal of sunscreen protectants that don't have a bunch of crap. I'm like, I'd rather have my kids get the vitamin D from the sun than put some of the stuff on their bodies. You know, you see this the stuff people are putting on their bodies to protect themselves from the sun and it's like mm, i'm not sure that's no good. it's not good and look at my complex complexion i'm very much you know a leprechaun i grew up in hawaii like i am a sunscreen snob i've used <laughs> and and i use sunscreen i've used sunscreen every day of my life basically yeah almost every day of my life and so anything that i'm going to put on that regularly if there is anything bad in it like I'm the person who really has to watch out. So I'm very careful of, with that. And that's what went into all these products. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm half ginger day walker that grew up in Hawaii. I, I know my stuff is sunscreen, let me tell you. I love it. So listen, you've been through a lot of tough and uncertain situations, you know, shark attacks, blackouts. Um does any of that like affect your approach when you hit the water? You know, we talked a little bit about that before, but does any of that play a role when you hit the water? Are you thinking about that in terms of, you know, when you talk about again, resilience, like when on this program, we talk a lot about getting back up, you know, no matter what, mm -hmm. no matter what you've dealt with, you've got to get back up. You've got to keep going. Um, do you think some of those experiences drive you as you move forward? Yeah, they definitely drive me. And as I was talking about earlier, how you have to force yourself to make the decision. And it's not like just like a YOLO blind leap of faith. It's, it's based on, you know, people can see everything that they want to see. All the boxes get ticked. This is a thing to go. But when it comes to the actionable moment, so many people won't do it because it's still just scary. Yeah. And it's getting past that point. And it's the same thing coming back from injuries or like really traumatic experiences um, from the standpoint of like the big wave thing. I, I've had to hit the reset button a few times and uh, just see if it was still something for me. <clears throat> uh, yeah. And most of that is just the hardest ones have just been losing friends and being a part of that and you know pumping on friends chests it working sometimes and not working other times seeing how it affects their family and their kids uh you know when you see it from the start all the way uh through the end process you know setting up chairs at the funeral that really gets to you that's like that's a, a harder one to come back from and that, those are the times where I had to really like adjust and be like, all right, this risk that I take isn't just me. Yeah. I'm no longer naive that my 
actions could really affect a lot of other people that I care about. Uh, and so you have to factor that in all of a sudden and you have to be honest about it. And you got to be honest with yourself about why am I doing this? Is this because it's the only way I feel special or accepted or do I feel like this is what's expected of me? Um, am I scared that I'm going to lose my job? You know, things like that. So the only way I've gotten through those is just putting myself back in this, in the general area, in the situation again, where, you know, okay, I'm going to show up for this giant swell. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to force it. If, if I'm not feeling it, I'll go out, I'll be out there. I'll be in the channel and I'll, I'll see how I react once I get there. Um, and it's very strange not knowing how you're going to react in those situations. I'm going to see if it still comes naturally to me, if it's, if it's truly something that's part of me still. And every time I did that, it, it, it worked, you know, it, it came naturally. I had some of my best performances in my life on days like that. Um, so I, that's not going to be the case forever. I know there's an expiration date to it as far as the big wave surfing thing is concerned. Um, it's, it's brutal. You get hurt a lot. Um, you have to be aware also that other people that you're putting in danger, that have to come and save your ass. So like on these big wave days, I'm, I'm doing safety for part of the day too. We rely on each other. It's just, it's a small group really. Um, so yeah, just coming back from those things has probably been the most difficult, but again, things that I had to be forced into doing to learn about myself. And in the end, I was more confident in my decision-making. And it also led me to, uh, because I vetted those ideas and, and dug deep into them, like, is this because what's expected of me? Do I just feel valuable or special because of this? Am I afraid that I'm going to lose my job and have to start from scratch on my heels from a financial perspective? Because I've I've gone through this mental exercise several times, you know, when things like COVID come around and everything and pressure's on, I'm like, this is an easy decision for me. Yeah, I know I'm sticking to my guns. You know, it always comes back around. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so in all your years, you're on a board at three years old until now. Do you have one moment of the best wave you've ever surfed? Hmm. No, I, I wouldn't say best wave I've ever surfed. Um, they're, they're just all different and they're special. They're usually special just because of that time and place in your life and a goal or a dream that you've had to do this or catch this wave. You played it where I played it out of my mind for probably a decade. Yeah. And you like manifested it basically. You're like, oh my God, like you can do that. You can have these goals and, and make it happen. Um, but yeah, there's just really special ones. I mean, just even surfing in this Eddie Aikawa event um, this last winter, it was, you know, I, di I didn't catch the biggest waves of my life and everything, but it was probably one of the most special days I've ever had in the water. Um, and it was just, the, the whole day was magic. It, it was really, really special. I can tell you that while you were surfing those waves, my husband was watching them on his iPhone as he does with a lot of surf content <laughs> in the kitchen, you know, grilling up some steaks in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But uh, every right. turn around, he's always got a surf contest on his phone, you know, with his earphones in, just watching it and cooking. So, um, you know, you you bring a lot of you bring a lot of joy to the East Coast uh, small waves uh, over here, you know, they can, they can live out their dreams watching you guys over there. Um, I always finish the, the episode by asking my guest, what living a resilient life looks like for you. Um, living a resilient life. I, I've, I've thought about this kind of allegory for a long time. It's where I think that um, it's like when you're getting the in-flight briefing on the airline, and they're talking about in the event 
that the oxygen mask fall from the ceiling and you have a child to put the mask on yourself before you put it on the child. It's because both of you will be in trouble if you don't make sure you're maintaining consciousness first. And it would be an instinct to go for the child first. And that's kind of, I, I think I, I'm very much, I guess, uh, a, a typical male in the sense that uh, I, I feel my worth is really um, helping to carry weight or look after other people, make people uh, feel safe um, and be a contributor. Uh, but having a resilient life is I'm not allowed, I'm not capable of doing that until I have my own shit together. So I have to have a baseline of having my, my own mind, my own body, my own finances, my own food, knowing how to get my own food. I have to have that baseline to be effective for others. So um, that is the part of the resilience that it, it might not be your knee jerk reaction to just go and try to help everybody else. And you never keep yourself solid. But that's that just doesn't last. If you if you don't create a good foundation for yourself, you're ineffective. I'll tell you, I've asked that question sixty nine times now, and <laughs> that's one of my favorite answers that's been given this out of every single episode I've done. I love that. Um, I'm use that. <laughs> Thanks. I'm use that. I love it, uh, Mark. Thank you so much for for joining us. Um, it's been awesome to talk to you. I'm gonna give you a little little toast with my protect uh yeti mug um best of luck with uh with everything you're doing what's up for you next what's what's your next big thing that you have coming up i am hunting i'm gonna hunt all next month and the following month so i i i've just been so busy and i haven't had a bow hunt since last september so i'm gonna hunt my butt off here in hawaii Axis deer. It's still kind of like in the general rut season. Um, and then I'm going to go do elk in uh, Utah in September. I love and it. then hopefully this El Nino, El Nino season kicks in and we have giant raging surf for about five months. All right. That sounds like a good plan. Thanks so much for joining <laughs> us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me.